If you'll turn in your Bibles or just look up there on the screen, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 2 first. And I apologize on the outline. I completely messed up changing all the things in the top. So you can ignore those. But this is, uh, this is the outline for today. We want to take a look at some questions that come up within you concerning what you believe is promised or what you have asked for, for God, but maybe not received yet. Questions like, am I, or am I healed? Am I healed? You ever asked that one? You're believing God for, to be healed? And then the question comes in, am I healed? Sometimes we even ask the thing, am I saved? Am I forgiven? We begin to question these things because it doesn't quite seem like it's where it needs to be in our life. We begin to think of things, well, maybe God doesn't want me to have it. Is there something more I need to do to receive the thing that I'm believing for? There are some questions that can become very detrimental to the way that you walk, to the things that you're believing for, to the way that you conduct your Christian life. And those questions we're going to address here today. We want to take a look at this from the Word of God. As always, I want to take a look at this from the Word of God. Now, one of the things that's really difficult is the Word of God very seldom deals with what people are thinking. It deals with what people are saying. So you got to dig a little deeper to figure out some stories that will help you with what people are thinking. Now, sometimes Jesus, uh, it was said of Jesus, He knew their thoughts, and then He would address it. But when we have questions like, am I healed? Am I forgiven? Am I saved? When these things begin to come up, we don't necessarily see those questions in the Word. So how can we take guidance from the Word on these particular issues? So that's what we're going to take a look at here today. And I thought we had gone over this this story in more recent time. I know we've referenced it. I've generally referenced the healings that Jesus does on a continual basis. Because there's so much for us to learn from them. But it's been about three years since we've really delved into this particular story. So we're going to take a look at it in that way. I do want to remind you of these five things, the five qualities that are in a question that gets God's attention. The first one is faith. It's a question that is based on faith. It is a question that is based on trust, patience, contentment, and thanksgiving. These are things that are in the question. These are things that are the basis of the question. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to read 20 through 24. Most people can quote 24, but we want to take a look at the whole context here. For what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his his steps. Now, the example we have in Jesus is the example of how we are to go into suffering. It is not the example of what he suffered for. Sometimes people get that confused. Jesus suffered for our sicknesses and our diseases. We are not to suffer for them. We are to suffer as Jesus did. So he tells you, Jesus went into suffering quietly. He didn't go in there making a fuss about this, this whole thing. That's how we are to go into suffering. We are not suffering for the same things. 
Jesus suffered so you don't have to. So there's no sense in us going through the same suffering that he did. Our suffering will be different. That's why I always look at the context of things. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Now we get to the verse that we all know. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Now, I don't always remember which of the uh, video ones that I put out there for you. I have a lot of these things going on in my head, and I can sometimes listen to um, 8, 10, 12 of them in a week, and they can sometimes run into each other. But uh, Brother Hagin would always throw this out. He would talk about this story in which the uh, particular woman he was ministering to, and he would bring her back to this verse, and he would have her read it. And she would say, by whose stripes... You were healed. So he would ask her, is that past tense, present tense, or future tense? How many remember him talking about that story? And she said, well, that's past tense. And it finally dawned on her after, I think one time, he, he had the person read it three or four times, and finally it dawned on them, oh, if I was healed, then I am healed. I am healed. And that's important for us to know. Because if you were healed... Then you are healed. Now, every time I come into that, I hear David Ingalls. Anybody know why? Every time I come to that verse, I hear David Ingalls. Because David Ingalls wrote this song, being in one of Brother Hagin's uh, services, when he was ministering on this, and he came out with the song, uh, I Am Healed. And, him, and some of the things he discusses beforehand. I, I always hear that ringing in my head when, uh, when I come to this. Reminds me. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. In that verse, we are talking about two aspects of the cross, but it does not always jump out at you. He himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree. We have the term body there and it can sometimes throw us off. His body is on the tree. It means he is on the cross. On the cross was one form of the redemption before the cross was the other. In his body was bore, he bore our sicknesses and our diseases. It says, by whose stripes you were healed. The stripes were not laid on Jesus on the cross. They were laid on Jesus before. By his stripes we are healed. Those are the things that healed us. Now, I want you to take a look. I'm going to read off these scriptures here for you. Got a bunch of them. First one is Isaiah 53, 5. You all know this one real well. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. That's the same thing that Peter did. Now, Peter put it into past tense because the stripes of Jesus were past tense when Peter was writing. The stripes of Jesus were future tense when Isaiah is writing. That's why the change. You remember when a Gentile woman came to Jesus looking for healing for her daughter? What did Jesus say to her? He referred to healing as bread. 
He said the bread is meant for the children. Yes, but even the the dogs eat the crumbs, she said. He related the healing aspect to bread. Now, redemption we know is in the blood. How many do not know that redemption is in the blood? We know we, by the blood we are redeemed. I wrote down some of the verses of Scripture. I'm going to read them real fast. I wanted them in your outline just so you can go back and look them over if you want to. These are not new Scriptures for you. You probably already know these. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock, and this is Acts 20, 28, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which He purchased, what? With His own blood. He purchased the church with His own blood. The blood of Jesus is what's involved in the redemption. That is the redemption price. It is the blood of Jesus. Colossians 1.20 And by Him to reconcile all things to Himself by Him, whether things on earth or on things in heaven, having made peace through, what? The blood of His cross. Ephesians 1.7 In Him we have redemption through His blood. How do you have redemption? Through His blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. Hebrews 9.14 How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? It's the blood of Christ that is the cleansing. Verse 22 And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission. The blood is involved in the remission. The blood is involved in the purification, the cleansing. Hebrews 10.19 Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. The sanctification of the people was through the blood. 1 John 1, seven. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Matthew 26.28 For this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. This is the blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. This is the purpose. The blood is what cleanses. The blood is what redeems. It is the blood that has done this. We read how many scriptures here? All of them refer to the blood. They don't refer to anything else. They refer to the blood. It is the blood that has done this. Old Testament, Leviticus 17, 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. It is the blood that makes atonement. So all these verses... Talk about the remission of sins with the blood of Jesus. Jesus in the, in the, um, Last Supper instituted the blood and the body. One of the teachings he gave that he lost a lot of disciples on talked about eating his flesh, drinking his blood. Two different aspects of salvation. One is to redeem you from the things that the law brought upon you. And one is to redeem you of the curse of the law that we would have eternal life. So this is what the blood was for. Uh, we, we sing the song, the blood of Jesus is sufficient. The blood of Jesus is enough. We all believe. You don't have to add anything to the blood. We don't have to take our works and add it to the blood. The blood is sufficient, right? 
The blood is sufficient. The blood is sufficient to take care of remission of sins and the washing, cleansing, all those things. The blood is sufficient. When Jesus was was up from the cross, Mary wanted to touch him and he said, no, do not touch me. I haven't ascended to my Father yet. He ascended to the Father. He took His blood. He's the high priest. Only the high priest can do this. He took His blood. He poured it on the altar and that is where the blood of Jesus is. It is on the altar on uh, that, that God has in heaven. This is the altar that Moses saw when he wrote down the things to build. He saw it. And he wrote down what we were to do when he made the tabernacle. He, When he made the Holy of Holies, he made what he saw. That's in the Word. Because this altar was up there waiting for the blood of Jesus. The blood of bulls and goats covered until then the blood of Jesus washed us clean. That is what the, the blood did. And we're all convinced about that. We know that what Jesus did is sufficient. We don't need to add anything to the blood. We don't need to add anything to what Jesus did to, to have us be saved, to have us be forgiven, to have us be redeemed. And so we ask this question. We go over this question every time in communion. First Sunday of the month, we do communion. We go over this every time. The, the blood is for the remission of sins. The body is for healing. Remember Jesus Referred to the bread as the aspect of healing, healing for the Gentile woman. That's what the body is for. Now, with that in mind, we go over to John chapter 4, verse 46. John chapter 4, verse 46. Because we want to talk about some of these thoughts that come into your head. So Jesus came again to Canaan of Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Now this man could have been a Jew, could have been a Gentile. In this region is King Herod's family. There is a possibility this man is related to the Herods. Possibly, we don't know for sure. It's just a possibility he might be in there. That might be what he, he's a nobleman. He's not a religious leader. He is a political leader. Now, the present condition of his son is that being sick. He was sick, but it was moving toward being terminal. He was moving towards the place of dying, such that he is on the brink of death right now. Right now, this nobleman knows he is on the brink of death. We are, we have an urgency. This is the son of a nobleman, which means he is in line for whatever position the nobleman has. That's how they pass these things off. And so they, he certainly would have great concern for that. Now we've uh, made mention of these things to you before. I'll just go over these principles with you again. What you believe is made up of what you hear. You can even put in there what you read. What you see. What you can imagine. What you hear, read, see, imagine. Jesus shows the least amount of respect for people who build what they believe on what they see. Now, got the kids in here. Surprise, kids are in here with us today. So I want to ask the kids a question. How many of you kids like bridges? 
Max likes bridges. Anybody else like bridges? Are you the only one who likes bridges? You don't like bridges? You like to stay off of those bridges? I've told you the story. Rick Renner, one of my favorite teachers, he, he, hate, he hated heights. Did not like heights, didn't like bridges. He became petrified on bridges. He froze up on bridges. And um, he talked about this one bridge that he was going across and his wife just walking merrily on by and just walking across the bridge. But it's a scary bridge and it scared a lot of people. And he was uh, afraid to do so. But he, you know, he's a man of faith and power. He wants to get over this. So he was endeavoring to, to do this and he's trying to walk across and he's hanging on to things. He's hanging on to his wife. He's hanging on to the side of the... He's hanging on to whatever he can. He's just afraid to get across this bridge. And he finally gets out to the, about the middle of the bridge. And he just feels like he can't go anywhere. But now you're in the middle of the bridge. You can't go. It's just as far to go forward as it is to go backwards. He's, he's terrified. He's frightened. Oh, what can we do? Now, when we come up on a bridge, I don't know, I don't know about you guys. This is me. When I come up on a bridge, I do not evaluate, will this bridge hold me? How many people evaluate whether a bridge will hold you when you're going across, across the bridge? Anybody? Most of our faith in bridges is based on sight. Most of our faith in bridges is based on sight. I've seen videos of cars going over bridges. Bridges in general. I've seen videos of people walking over bridges. I may even see videos of people going over a particular bridge. I know this is I used to do the uh, the route up in uh, Clark Summit. Anybody know where Clark Summit is? Uh, one person. <laughs> if you ever come off the exit for Clark Summit from the Turnpike, they have one of the tallest, nastiest bridges that you have ever seen. Did you ever go through that uh, that bridge? Yeah. He, he. And I don't know if they've changed this then, but when I was doing the route back in the 80s, I think it was in the 80s, that I had to do this this route. You would come off the ramp, and this thing was so tall. There was a hotel I stayed at that was a three or four story tall building, and I it looked really small from where I was at. But the the thing that was a a problem with this long, long, tall cement pillars that held this thing up, and the only thing that was keeping you from going over the edge was about a three-foot-high cement roadblock on both sides. You ever see those? The roadblock? Not even a four-foot one. It was the shorter ones, the little three-foot ones on both sides of the, you know, the movable ones. They don't lock in. They're kind of movable. So I guess if you hit it with enough power, you could knock it off. And if you went down, I mean, that's it. You were, it is, it is way down there. Oh, I'll tell you what, they were, that was a bridge. I used to, I didn't mind going over that. My wife doesn't like bridges. She likes to avoid all bridges that we, that we possibly can. And, um, I'm, I'm not one to shy away from bridges. I like the, the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. Anybody been on the Chesapeake Bay Bridge? Oh, I love the Chesapeake Bay Bridge. Go over all that expanse of water and then go under it. Under the water. Oh boy, I like that. That was, that was fun. Different people like different bridges. I saw over in California, this I think it was this week, they actually said uh, no trucks on the Bay Bridge and a couple other bridges because the winds were too high. And you get those suspension bridges, 
those winds can be can be nasty. It's kind of like this is as bad, but if you've been on the Commodore Barry Bridge, the Commodore Barry Bridge is one of the first bridges they, they will ban trucks from in this area because of the way the winds hit it. Now, I know that because I drove a truck. And I've been on that bridge when the winds are blowing. And I have felt that truck moving. Where you're, you're trying everything you can to keep that truck on the road and on the bridge while the wind is blowing. I was not on the bridge when it was uh, banned travel. I don't know how bad it gets when it's, when it's like that, but I was on the bridge at that particular time. But most of our faith in bridges comes because of what we've seen. We see more people going over bridges than we see people coming off of bridges. And so we have faith in that. We don't read the architectural diagrams of the bridge to find out how much weight it can hold and how much weight it's, it's actually encountering. I don't bother to read all, all that. I don't bother to, to try and study all that. I don't listen to lectures about bridges, how safe they are, how strong they are, the different types of bridges that are there. We, we don't necessarily listen to all those. That's not how we get faith in those bridges. We get faith in those bridges because of what we've seen. And we just don't believe that, uh, that it's going to happen to us. Now, some people have a little bit less faith in that and they're a little more afraid. We get on those bridges. And, uh, uh, now, have you seen anybody fall off of a bridge? You haven't seen anybody? No, you haven't seen it. But you just don't want to be, you don't want to be the first one, right? <laughs> don't need to be the first one. But that's how we get faith in these bridges. And, and so when the bridge comes up, we just drive right on over. We just hit the gas and, and keep on going and go over the bridge. We don't alter our route. Well, I don't want to go this way. There's bridges on this route. Now, if there's a bridge, we cross it. If you've been on 309 in the north area, you've crossed over a bridge that they have, they're working on, and they've actually pulled out a whole section of the bridge. Over here, no bridge. Here, bridge. But they've knocked it out over here. And then we just keep on going. I don't think anything of it. We just keep on going. No big deal. Now I want you to take a look at this verse here. When he heard, verse 47, when he heard that Jesus had come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him. The word there, implored, is from the Greek word that means to ask as in an equal person. You are equal in rank. When Jesus said, I asked the Father, whenever he described his asking of the Father, he used this word. We talked about that. It wasn't too long ago, a month or two ago. We were going over this. This man uses this word. He is addressing Jesus as an equal. I'm a nobleman. Maybe he sees Jesus as a nobleman. He's addressing him as an equal. He is not addressing him as the Son of God. He is not addressing him as one who is inferior. He is addressing him as one who is equal. He sees himself as a nobleman. He's addressing Jesus in the same way. Now, there is a word. There's a strength and form of this particular word that he's using that will talk about more of a demand. He wasn't necessarily making a demand. But there is something in the way that he comes and he does this that causes the writer John to write about this. 
He came and he asked him, he implored him as one who was an equal. One who was an equal. Now, Max, come on up here. Now, your sister, is she equal to you? Is she less of a person than you? Is she a higher ranking person than you? What would you think? She's higher ranking? Bless you. I did not have that attitude toward my sister. Now, you can say, <laughs> my sister, no, no. I mean, no. They're silly women, right? When you're, when you're young, they're just silly women. They just do silly things. Oh, if, only, if only the women were so logical as we were, right? They just figure things out. If you were to ask your sister something, what would be, the look, what would be a look on your face? Would there be any kind, of, uh, any kind of surprise on your face? Any kind of uh, pleading? Or, or you would just a little bit pleading? If it's something that you really want? And you don't think that she has any reason for doing it? Would you look at her the same way you would look at your mom? No, why? Because uh, that's your mom? Yeah, because yeah, she's a little higher rank. All right, thanks. thanks for... Sometimes it's just the way we look at someone. I know that they're a higher ranking person, and so my, my expression changes. The, the way I talk changes. You know, if you were to ask your brother or sister... Hey, will you come down here? Wouldn't be the same way that you would ask your mom and dad to come down here. You would go to your mom and dad and you would say, uh, Mom, Dad, uh, if you're not busy, can you come on down here right now? Because they're in a higher position. You are in a subservient position. But when you have a brother or sister, you're a little bit more on equal footing, a little more on equal ground. And you may say, Hey, come on down. There is something in the way the nobleman approached Jesus that John, when he writes the story, makes note. This man did not ask from a position of being inferior to Jesus. He did not ask in such a way as to make a demand of Jesus, but he asked in such a way that Jesus is on the same footing as he was. Now, Jesus, hearing and seeing whatever attitude was there, it may, have, it may have caused some of the things that we see Jesus begin to say. Verse 48. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. His expression, his facial expression, his tone in his voice, whatever it was that set John off, whatever it was that told John, Hey, this man is coming in this particular way. It may have caused Jesus to also say this. Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Now, you don't see a whole lot of uh, begging in this particular word. But again, this word is not used to describe someone who is begging. Sir, come down before my child dies. This thing is urgent. Come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. Now we've covered all this before. None of this is really all that new to you. But Jesus says to him, this man feels there's an urgency. He knows the boy is going to die. We've talked about it before. He's about, he's far enough away that he probably left the morning of and gets there 
with Jesus so that Jesus says this somewhere around one o'clock in the afternoon. He's still far enough away that he's not going to make it back home before the sun goes down. And it's not very safe to travel then. So he comes a little bit of a ways. He cannot, at least in his own mind's thinking, make it home and back to ask Jesus to help him out again. This is it. So Jesus tell him, tells him, go your way. doesn't wave his hand. He doesn't speak into the air. He doesn't say anything about him being healed. He just says, go your way. Your son lives. That's it. Go your way. Your son lives. There's no laboring in prayer. There's no taking authority over anything. If you were this man and you came down with this kind of an urgency, you saw Jesus as an equal. He's on equal par with you. So there's a little bit more of a freedom there like a with a brother or sister. A little bit more of a freedom. You don't see him as a rabbi or an authority in this way. And you come on down and he says, go your way. Your son lives. What do you mean my son lives? You didn't pray for him. You didn't say anything about it. You just told me to go. That's it. Now, if you were there, how many of you would want to argue with Jesus a little bit? Want to ask him, give me a little bit more. Give me a little bit more. Give me something more to go on. But he doesn't. It says in verse 50, Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went his way. All right. Now we get to where we want him to be. The man heard what Jesus said, Your son lives. Even though he sees himself as equal footing with Jesus. He came to Jesus because Jesus had something that he wanted. That was the healing power. When Jesus said this, he believed the word that Jesus spoke and he went his way. So he came to get something. He didn't get what he wanted. Jesus spoke. He believed the word. He went his way. What's happening to you from one o'clock on as you are making the trip back home? Put this in a place where you can understand it. Say that you had a child who was so sick you could not put them into the car and get them to the doctor. You get in the car yourself. You go to the doctor. Doctor, can you prescribe me something? Can you do something that I can take back to my son, my daughter, and help them out? And the doctor says, no need. Go home. Your son's fine. What would you be thinking on the way home? Maybe I should have pressed a little bit sooner. Pressed a little bit more. Maybe maybe there's something more I could have done. Go your way. Your son lives. So on the way home, he's got nobody with him. He came by himself. He's got nobody to encourage him and say, remember what Jesus said? 
If you were this man, what's going on in your head? Is he really healed? Is he really okay? What if I get home and he's still sick? Could you see the possibility of thinking these things yourself? Is Is it possible that this could go on? Is it possible that he's still not doing well? And can you see the evil one? The devil himself coming up and whispering in your ear. He's already dead. He's already done. It's already over. These thoughts are coming to you. These thoughts are coming. These thoughts are hitting you. You know they're hitting him. Might even be telling him, turn back. Go back. Go back and and, and, and get in touch there. How many people like to show Monk? Anybody like to show Monk? I like to show Monk. Monk's kind of a fun guy. I remember though in the first episode, we just happened to, to watch the, the very first, the very pilot episode. They got this whole thing rolling. And he's in the room doing his detective stuff that he does. You know, with the hands. He's got the hands going around the room. He's looking around the room. And in his head, he's thinking... I left the gas on. I left the gas on. And so he turns to his assistant. Did you check the gas? She's getting a little frustrated with them because they're trying to get back into the detective business. I checked it. Don't worry about it. You can kind of tell she didn't check it. But she's trying to pass it off to him that she did. He keeps hearing the voices. He keeps hearing the noise. The gas is on. In fact, at one point, he even says, I can smell it. The enemy is always whispering in your ear. He's trying to get you to go back on what you have done. To go back on what you believe. He's trying to get this man, go on back. Go on back. All I got to do is get you to go back. That's it. If I get you to go back, we can cut off this believing stuff. We can get rid of this sort of thing. I just got to get you to go back. The enemy is hitting them the whole way. We don't know this from the word. because The word doesn't tell us what he's thinking. But if you put yourself in that position, can you think of any scenario where as a father you have this much concern over your son, over his condition, that you bring it to Jesus with this urgency, that on your way back you don't hear voices saying, he's dead. He's not well yet. Nothing was really done to change this. And you still keep thinking. Maybe I should go back. Maybe I should go back and ask Jesus to come with me again. Maybe if I go back again, this time he'll come with me. That's what he had his faith set up for. For Jesus to come back with him. Maybe if I do that. But he stayed. He kept going. He stayed someplace probably overnight, got started again in the morning, and then he was greeted by these people that came from there to find him. He believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. So think about this. What kind of thoughts would come to you? 
These will be thoughts that will be counterproductive to your belief. I'm believing for this, but I'm getting different thoughts. How many of you have been believing things? You're believing things from, from God for, in the area of healing. You're believing things in the area of finances, a job, something going on with, with one of the kids, something going on with a, a, a relative. You're believing God for something. You've asked God. You have faith to believe that something is going to happen. But then these thoughts come in. Put it, I'll put it this way. Have you ever believed God for a particular condition that was bringing you pain? You had hands laid on you. Or you just believed His Word. Or somebody came over and prayed with you. Whatever it might be. Something had gone on. And you believed when you left that meeting, when you left that person, when you stood on the word, that there was a change. Until there wasn't. Until you were going on and all of a sudden you felt that pain, you felt that twinge, you felt that come back up again. And the thought comes in. You were never really healed. you were healed, you wouldn't be feeling this anymore. And we have these thoughts to come in. And they tell us these things. You're believing God for a certain situation in your family. And all of a sudden you see the same things, same direction happening. It didn't change. Verse 51, And as he was now going down, his servants met him and told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour when he got better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Now this man had actions that demonstrated what he had faith in. He had faith in the words that Jesus spoke. He believed those words and he had faith in them. He had actions. That What would your actions demonstrate faith in? If you're getting those thoughts, what kind of actions are you doing and what are they demonstrating faith in? If you were on the bridge and the bridge is coming up and you're one who doesn't like to be on bridges but you're believing that we're going to be okay on this bridge and you get to the foot of the bridge and you finally say, no, no, I keep hearing it in my head. The bridge is going to fall. What did you have actions? What did your actions show that you had faith in? Well, if you don't go over the bridge, you have faith in the Words that are coming up on the inside of you saying that bridge is going to fall. Never seen that bridge fall yet. But look at what happens here. They come, they meet him. They say your son lives. I don't know that these were the first words out of his mouth, but eventually they did come out. He says, when did he start to feel better? When did it start to change? And they said, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Yesterday at the seventh hour is one o'clock. And he knew. That's when Jesus spoke those words. He knew. You see, when he left Jesus, he did not know. He believed. 
believe Brother Fred Price was dealing with that in the video teaching. Or wasn't that one? It's one of the ones coming up. There's a difference between believing and knowing. A lot of people want to believe when they know. Too late then. You believe before you know. That's what this man was doing. He believed and he left Jesus. But now he knows. When you know something, those thoughts have no bearing on you anymore. If I know my son is healed, if someone has come and told me the fever has left him, I know that he's well, then those thoughts can't come in and say, your son's still sick. No, I know he's well. Those thoughts come in because you don't know. Because you believe. But there's power in the believing and having actions in faith. And that's what this man did. If the man knew, I'll put this in your outline for you, if the man knew his son was made well yesterday, there would be no need to ask today if he knew. But he didn't know. That's why he asked, when did he start getting better? He doesn't know. He will now when he asks them. Actions of faith are not based on what you know. Actions of faith are not based on what you know. They're based on what you believe. You don't have to talk yourself into it. I'm not here to talk myself into, into these things. I'm not here to talk myself into it and say, self, you need to believe this. You need to know this. A lot of times we're just trying to talk ourselves into knowing. I'm just trying to talk myself into knowing this thing. You cannot talk yourself into knowing it. But you can put faith in it and believe it. The enemy is going to try and get you to feel like you know things that are not so. He's going to try and get you to believe that you know what has not even been verified. Don't let them do this to you. Don't let them be moving you on these on these things. Brother Hagen teaches a wonderful little mini book, and you can uh, find his teachings on this on uh, on YouTube. I'm I'm pretty sure. How to keep your healing. How to keep your healing. Got a little mini book out about that because a lot of people they get prayed for and then they go home and they lose their healing because they start questioning. They feel something they felt before. The thought comes in. Well, I guess you didn't get it. Well, I guess I didn't then. But you've got to combat these thoughts. This is where the battle is, is won. It wasn't too long ago we were talking about the armor of God. The armor of God, primarily, it's here to guard against the enemy's tactic of thoughts. Getting you to think along a certain line. I can remember... Um, I, I don't talk about a whole lot I'm going through when I'm going through it. Because when you do, then you invite questions. And sometimes we just don't need any more questions than the ones we're already getting hit with. How many of you know what that, that's about? But I know some time ago, I was, I was, in my body, I was getting pain. It was not a normal pain. It was not a pain that I usually felt. It was an abnormal pain. 
abnormal condition. It happened regularly throughout the day. Many times throughout the day. Thoughts are coming to my mind of what it could be. Do you know that I'm sitting out there? I was out running one day and I was listening to Brother Hagin. And Brother Hagin was teaching about a condition that a person had and they were praying for him and they got healed. It was a terrible condition. It was a severe condition. And he described some of the things that were there for it. And the thought came up, that's what you got. That's what you got. Using, using a preacher to put those things in there. I was tempted. The thought came in. You ought to just go on the internet and just look up the symptoms for this condition and see if they're in line with what you're experiencing. I didn't do it. I did not do it. I didn't give it any attention. I said, no, I am healed. I will continue to be healed. Now, it didn't happen for a day. It happened for a couple of weeks. This is a, long, this is a while back. It happened for a couple of weeks. And then it stopped. But I'll guarantee you, if I gave into it, and I would have gone, done some questioning, did some things in that area, then um, I could have, I probably could have had that condition if I wanted it. I didn't want it. Be careful of those questions. Sometimes the enemy just wants to take things that are going on in your body, raise questions, get you to ask, well, what if it's this? Well, what if it's this? What are you going to do if it's this? And get you to, to surmise. Now, I've told you before in the, in the past, sometimes God has told me some things. This is what's wrong. But it's not a, well, what if it's this? It's, it's never. Never does he does that. I told you the, the one time, you know, I had the, the appendix thing going on. And I'm laying there on the sofa. And I'm supposed to be out delivering in a second bed. I delivered one bed in the morning. Getting ready to go out and deliver a second bed in the afternoon. And I'm just laying there. Well, if I just lay down for a little bit, the pain will go away. And it didn't go away. Came up my spirit. It's your appendix. Go to the hospital and get it taken out. Now, it wasn't a what if. It was, this is what it was. So I walked into the hospital eventually. We, we eventually got up there. Went over to the hospital. And they said, what's wrong with you? I said, my appendix needs to come out. Well, how do you know that? <laughs> and so they began to question me on that. And apparently, I think there was four symptoms that you're supposed to have when you have appendicitis. Uh, the pain was, was one, I think, a fever, nausea. I thought there was a, either three or four, I don't know, whatever it was. They went over all of them. I didn't look them up on the, on the Internet, but uh, they went over all of them. Do you have any nausea? No. Do you have any fevers? No. You just have the pain in your side? Yes. How do you know it's appendicitis? Now, I believe, uh, I, I think one of the persons there, I did try and tell them why I knew that, but uh, I, don't, I don't remember how that went. Uh, but it just came up in my spirit. Now, they, had a, they said, well, we have to go through tests. I said, you go through and do whatever test you want to. This was on the 4th of July weekend. It was a Friday. It was a 4th of July weekend. But it came my, my, up in my spirit. This is what it is. Go to the hospital. They'll take it out. There was no what if or death scenario. This is what it is. Go here, do this, get it done. So I went there, and by the time, it took them hours to figure out, did a blood test or something. Yeah, we're getting these test results coming up. That seems to be what it is. 
So we have to go find a surgeon. Now it's the, we're more into the 4th of July weekend. Now we've got to go find a surgeon. I'm not sure if I said it out loud. I know I at least said it internally. If you would have done it when I told you, we wouldn't be trying to find somebody on, a, on that. But it was, came around 10 o'clock or something, some late time in the nighttime, surgeon came in. But you see, that was different. That was the Spirit of God telling you what's going on. This is, this is what you do. We'll, we'll get it taken care of. The enemy comes in and then, well, you know, it might be this. And if it's that, you're going to die. That's what the enemy does. Don't pick up those questionings. Don't be doing that. Now, sometimes we've gone off and we have uh, asked God for a healing on something. We have had hands laid on us. We have um, uh, been in a service. Somebody uh, just came over and prayed for us, whatever it was. But how many of you remember Smith Wigglesworth when Smith Wigglesworth said, he's been quoted on this, if you ask God seven times for any one thing, You've asked six times in unbelief. How many remember that being said? You ask God seven times for, and now it's not praying seven times on, on a matter. It's asking God for something specific. He was very specific in, in that. Six times in unbelief. When you make a stand... When you ask God, when you stand on the Word of God, the Word of God says, I am healed. And you're standing on that. You're pursuing that. Thoughts will come in. Pains will come in. And they'll try and tell you, are you really healed? What is that that you feel? What is this going on over here? And he's going to get you to question. And so sometimes we ask the question, Oh. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I need to ask God again for that thing. But when we ask God the first time, if somebody were to say, do you believe that God answered your prayer? I believe that God answered my prayer. But then you get up from there later on and you're, well, I'm not sure. Maybe if I ask again. Maybe if I, if I ask again. If you went through that teaching from Fred Price last week, if, if I, I thoroughly enjoyed his handling of the judge. Oh, I'm sorry, the neighbor coming in at midnight. Oh, I thought that was great. There was a boldness that was there and that's what we are to mimic. We are to mimic that boldness that in, even at midnight we'll go ask our neighbor for bread. We'll go and ask our God for things. At midnight, we don't care. But the, the enemy is going to come and try and get you to question what it is that you've stood for, what it is that you've asked God for. And he's going to begin to show you some things. Can you see this in your body? Can you see this in the person you're praying for? Can you see this in the situation? Do you see that? That means it's not working. You need to pray more. You need to pray harder. What is praying harder? I don't, I don't know what that is. A lot of people say that. You need to stand on it. How many remember the Sister Grace story? Oh, I'll tell you what, I'm trying to find Brother Hagen, tell that Sister Grace story, pass that off to you. But I'll tell it to you again. I, I never tire of hearing that story. Every time I'm listening and the Sister Grace story comes up, tell it to me again. I might hear something I didn't hear before. That Sister Grace story, that, boy, that, that impacted me. I, as I told you, I still remember where I sat in the Rhema 
or the, the RCA auditorium, when Brother Hagen first told that story, shocked me. That story was this. Brother Hagen was in a place. He said it wasn't as bold then as I am, as it was now when he's telling the story. And he said we were there having these meetings and he saw this sister come in, come over to the pastor, whisper something to the pastor. And worship went on. If you ever hear Brother Hagen tell the story, he calls it the preliminaries. <laughs> Always called worship the preliminaries. Worship went on. Pastor came up to introduce him as the speaker. The rest of the service would go on. And he said, Sister so-and-so just came in and told me that Sister Gray was taken to the hospital. Her condition is severe, and the doctors don't think that she will make it through the night. He said, let's all pray together that God will do a complete work and heal her of this, whatever. I don't remember what the condition was. And so the whole church got together and they prayed. And after they got done praying, the pastor said, how many believe that God heard our prayer and that Sister Gray is healed? Oh, yeah, amen, amen. It was all over the, all over the auditorium. So then they went on. The next night, he said the same thing unfolded. A certain sister came into the auditorium, came up to the pastor, whispered something in his ear. After the worship was over, pastor came up. Before he did his introduction, he said, Sister so-and-so just came in and told me that the doctor said Sister Gray made it through the night the bad, the hard part is over. He thinks she's going to make it now. But she's still terribly weak. Let's pray that God would do a complete work and restore her completely. And so the whole congregation, the same one that was there last night, got together and said... Lord, do a complete work and restore Sister Gray completely. And afterwards, how many believe that it's so? They all raised their hands, shouted amen. And Brother Hagen was up on the stage. They had him seated up on the stage. And he said he heard these words come from behind them. He said it was so real. It's one of the first times it ever happened to him, that, that real. It was so real, he turned around to see who said it. He turned around. After it was said. But these words were spoken. That's it. They've taken her out of my hands now. She'll be dead in three days. Sure enough. Three days later. Sister Gray died. Now sometime. Some months ago. We were talking about. What was it, about a year ago? We were going over all the principles. Of how to pray for people. That are not conscious. That cannot speak words themselves not going to go over all those principles a lot of that came out of there because uh, you know you cannot overcome the faith of a sister gray for what they're believing your unbelief won't do it but if they are not in a place where they can pray and they depend on you that's when you can now sometimes we get into the the mentality i just need a whole lot of people praying can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? Would you pray for me? You pray for me. You pray for me. You pray for me. We went again. Oh, I need all the prayers I can get. You pray for me too. I need everybody to pray. All you really need is one person in faith. 
I'm not saying you can't get more than that, but all you really need is one person in faith. Look in the Word of God. How many people did it take for the great miracles that were done? How many people prayed that there would be no rain? One. How many people prayed that fire would come down and consume the altar? One. How many people prayed and stood at the shore of the Red Sea and believed that the sea would part? One. Oh, we can keep on going, can't we? Most of the miracles that we see in the Word of God were done because one person stood up. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, the Word of God tells us. You don't necessarily need a whole lot of people praying, but you do need one who's in faith. And I don't care how many mozos are out there that are not in faith. They will not nullify you. Just put them out of the room. Just do like Jesus did when he came back with Jairus. He came back with Jairus and all these people were mourning. And Jesus said, she's not dead. Ah, <laughs> They started laughing at him. He put them all out of the room. He's in there. I believe the mom and dad, Peter, just a couple. Put them all out. I don't care what you do outside there. You can have a whole lot of people in your life and they're speaking all kinds of doubt and unbelief about your situation. Don't worry about it. The woman with the issue of blood, how many people did she have in her life saying, this is not going to work? This is not going to work. You've tried all these other remedies before. They didn't work. This is not going to work. This is not going to work. She put them all out. Because she was in faith and a great thing was done. One more story I want to read for you. You see that this man, he had a pattern. He did something. First off, he didn't just sit around and wait for the sun to die. He did something. And once he did, once Jesus spoke those words, he came down to get Jesus. When Jesus spoke those words, he stuck with it. Stick with what you're doing. He returned based on Jesus' words. Luke seventeen eleven. Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee and as, then as he entered a certain village there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off and they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, show, Go show yourselves to the priest. And so it was as they went, they were cleansed. All Jesus said to them was, Go show yourself to the priest. He didn't wave his hand. He didn't command the, the leprosy to go. He didn't pronounce healing upon their bodies. All he said was, go show yourself to the priest on the way to the priest's place. What kind of thoughts do you think are coming into their heads? Why are you going to the priest? Nothing has changed. You go to the priest when something has changed. Nothing has changed. Why are you going to the priest? Why are you going there? These thoughts would come, but they've got ten buddies are in the same, same boat. Hey, anybody here think we ought not to be going to the priest? Yeah, I was thinking the exact same thing. Why are we going to the priest? Nothing has changed. They had that opportunity. Apparently, they didn't take it. They didn't bring these thoughts in. They stood against them. They had to make the trip before they were healed. They had to listen to Jesus' words and go and do them. So what kind of things would you be thinking along the way? Now, what happens when you have been prayed for 
you have asked God for or are standing on the promises in the word for healing, but you're not recovered yet. What happens? Sometimes we come in and we ask God again. God, I was asking you yesterday for healing. I'm not healed yet, so I'm going to ask you again. Whatsoever things you believe when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Mark 11, 23, 24. Believe that you have received them and you shall have them. Believe that you have past tense. Mark 11, 23, 24, if you want to look it up. Have past tense, shall receive future tense. Now I'm in the present. Some ask God again. Well, God, I asked you yesterday and I'm not healed yet, so I'm going to ask you again. Or we look to get prayed for again. So we look at that uh, neighbor going up there and knocking on the door. He didn't just knock once. He knocked again and again and again. And that's the pattern we do. That's why I, I love that video we put up last Monday. Boy, does he address that well. That's not the pattern we are to follow. Well, I'll just get prayed for again. Or I just wonder, well, does the word actually work? Some people will just deny what's happening in their body. I am not sick. I am not fevery. I am not. We'll just, we just deny what's going on in the body. The Bible never says deny what's going on in your body. Never told Moses, deny the Red Sea is even there. Didn't say to Joshua, deny that Jericho even exists. There was no denying. They are moved from the place of believing in the word and having actions consistent with that belief. But don't you be one of those. There are some people, you may know them, you've seen some of the word, they were moved. They were here. They got moved because of what they saw. Because I saw that, I felt this. I saw this. Stand. Stand on it. Can you ask God again without doubting what was done the last time you asked? Can I ask God? Well, God, I know I asked you this before, but I didn't get it yet. So I'm going to ask you again. Remember something that Brother Keith Moore shared with us, that God had witnessed him, spoke up in the Spirit. Got this in the Spirit. When he was believing for a particular thing, he said, Keith, if you're going to believe big, you may need to believe long. Hmm. That was something else. Sometimes we're believing big. We're believing God for something big. Sometimes there's a believing long on that. Abraham was believing for something big. For him, it was a lot longer than it was intended to be. But he had to believe long. You got to stay in that place of, of believing. Well, you can't really ask God again without doubting the first time. You can't really be prayed for again without doubting what was done for you the first time. You can't make another stand on the Word without doubting what happened to your first stand on the Word. Don't be doing that. Stand and don't be moved. Stand on it. 
The thing that moves most Christians off of what they're believing is what they see and what they feel. That's the main thing. I'm seeing this. I'm believing God that we'll have nice weather today because we have an event planned and you see clouds in the sky. That's what you see. You have something going on in your body. Thought comes in. Are you healed? Are you really healed? Is your life actually changed because of what God did? We're not talking about natural human or even ignorant, prideful assurance. We're not talking about just being assured, well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna know that what I believe for, I'm just gonna know that what I received, and that's it. We're not talking about that kind of ignorant, prideful assurance. How many of y'all know there's some arrogant people out there? And they're assured, but it's not very good. We're looking at a spiritual, founded on the word kind of assurance. That's where that quote from the bulletin made its way in there today. The enemy likes to trick you into counteracting your faith acts. The actions that you have done based on the, on the belief that you have. You have those faith, faith actions. He's trying to get you to move into a way that will cancel out those acts of faith. But don't do it. Don't do it. Don't cancel out what you've been doing. You've been, you've been walking in that way of faith. You're making statements about your kids. You're praying over your kids. Making statements about your job, about your finances, about your health. You're saying things about it because these things were we're said in the Word and it built faith on the... You have a belief. This is what's going to happen. Then the thoughts come in. But you're not seeing anything happen. You're not seeing anything going on over here. Don't be doing it. Don't be giving into that. question is not, did I have enough faith before? That's always something the devil wants to get you. Maybe you just didn't have enough faith before. Now you got more faith. Now you can ask again. Oh yeah, that's it. The question is not, did I have enough faith before, but did I continue to stay in the faith I had? That is a bigger question for people. Will you continue to stay in the faith that you now have? Not looking for that faith to grow. What happened to the disciples when they come and say, grow our faith? Your faith will grow as you continue to work it. But you can do things with the faith you got right now. You can change your life. You can change your health. You can change your, your job. You can do things with the faith that you have right now. Just don't move off of the faith. Don't move off of the place you, that you've been at. Don't move off it in how you think. Don't move off it in how you talk about it, how you speak. Don't move off it on how you act. Stay acting on those things. God gives you a word for your child. You start speaking that word out over the child and you're not seeing the same things that you were speaking. And the thought comes in. Ah, see that? They're going back into their old ways. They're doing the things they used to do before. You see that? You need to ask God for this again. He's trying to get you to waver on it. Don't waver. Don't move off of it. Your job's going back in a, in a direction it went before. It was getting better. You were... Standing in faith, seeing some things change, and now all of a sudden it's, it's going, going downward. Don't move off the faith that you have. 
The enemy's either going to try and get you to focus on how much faith you have, you don't have enough. Don't be listening to him. You don't need to listen to the enemy. He does not have your best interest at heart. He's trying to undermine you. Don't listen to that. What's the Word of God teach you? What's the Word of God say? It says, go this way. It says, do this. And you stay on there and you do it. You keep going in that direction. It's important. Would you all stand up with me? question is not that I have enough faith before, but did I continue to stay in the faith that I have? What is the faith thing that you are looking to change? And it makes no difference how old you are. we got the kids in here on the surface. Some of them anyway. It makes no difference how old you are. There's plenty of kids in the Word of God who made changes on things. Jesus made changes on things when he was young because of the Things he knew in the Word of God. Didn't do any miracles until later. But we see other ones. David, at a young age, is slaying lions and bears. At a young age, he's doing that. Jonathan, the same way. These people started young to do things. But you got to stay on that faith. What is your faith stand? Do you believe I had hands laid on me, therefore I am healed, and don't move off of it? Do you believe I made a stand in faith on this thing, and therefore I am healed, then don't move off of it? Well, maybe I made a stand and I should have had hands laid on me. That's a question that you don't need to be asking. Brother Hagin would say this to us constantly whenever he was talking about a method of being healed. He would say, one way, and get everybody to say it, one way. Not the only way, but one way that Jesus heals is through the laying on of hands. And he would talk about laying on hands or whatever method he was talking about. There's a lot of ways that he can do it. He doesn't care which way that you get, just so you get one. Well, I've been making a stand on this. I've been wondering whether I shouldn't make it that way. Maybe I should go this way. Did you make a stand? Stay on it. Don't move off it. When those questions come in, Am I healed? Am I saved? Am I forgiven? Are those things true? They are true. Some days you're going to wake up, you're not going to feel like it. Some days you're going to wake up and it's not, you're not going to see it. That's all right. Stay with it. This is what I believe. This is what I believe. Abraham wrestled with those thoughts. How can you be the father of many nations and not have any kids? That held him back. He had to get rid of that thought. He had to get rid of that way of thinking. And you got to do the same thing. Father, we, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you help us to overcome these doubts because you want us to get to the place that our faith is leading us. Thank you for every person here that the word of God is growing on the inside of them. Their sights are set on things that you have for them. Things that you promised in your word. Things you provided. And their faith is set there. The enemy is going to try and get them to question. To do what the nobleman did not do and turn back. Father, help each person here to keep staying on. Keep going in the direction that they're going. 
Not give in to the questions. Not give in to all the questioning. But to stay with it. To keep moving forward. Thank you that success will be in each of our futures. Because that's where you're leading us. We give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen.